Hi, and welcome to the Climate Minute, your source for insight and perspective on global warming news. My name is Ted McIntyre. This show is for the week of January 31st, 2024. There are currently 422.33 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. That's way over the 350 we ought to be at. And there are only 2,162 days left until the year 2030, by which time we need to be cutting our carbon dioxide emissions nearly in half. Anyway, there's a couple things to talk about today that I think are of interest. They are the kinds of things that can happen when the federal government, and in particular the the president, wants to see good climate things happening. And so we'll talk through what those two things are. I'll try and give you a little background. Uh, and then when you see it pop up, you'll at least have some inkling of what we're talking about. So the first item is that recently, probably a week ago now, late January 2024, the federal government announced what it called a pause on decision-making related to a new liquid uh, methane gas terminal in Louisiana. It, the acronym is CP2. It's Cal Casco Pass Number 2 Refinery in Louisiana. And it's a place that would accept liquefied natural gas, a.k.a. methane, and put it on ships that would be bound for places like Europe. Okay. Anyway, the federal government paused the decision-making process on those that terminal, basically to allow the Department of Energy to take into account the climate impact of the natural gas that would be emitted if the product that the plant was shipping would be burned. Right. So that's 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 a pretty good that's quite a quite a feat for climate activists to have influenced federal policy at such a great level. The good thing about that is yes, that this pause throws a monkey wrench into the into the plans of big oil producers to build infrastructure that will be around for 70 years, right? So now 2024, 70 years from now is 2094 kind of time frame. There's, that's what these guys are talking about building. And the this decision, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in a minute, is a great example of how grassroots organizing and speaking your mind actually do influence policy. It can sometimes feel like you're yelling down a well as a climate activist, but in this case, somebody was listening. So the background on this whole thing is the following. About 15 years ago, in the early 2000s, first decade of this millennia, technology developed to the point where something called hydraulic fracturing was practical. Hydraulic fracturing is better known as fracking. And what fracking does is drills a hole down into the ground, and then it puts in essentially high-pressure liquid that 
cracks or fractures or fracks the stones, the rocks underneath the ground. And that, when you break up, kind of take make little rocks out of big ones, the natural gas, the methane that's held inside that gas because those rocks gets released and it's it's you've got natural gas coming out of the ground what was particularly interesting is that 15 years ago when they developed this technology they also figured out figured out how to drill sideways so they could go down into the ground some distance and then take a 90 degree right or left and drill in kind of this spider web two-dimensional thing underground to frack all the rocks anyway fracking technology that was invented in this millennia basically revolutionized energy output here in the United States. And all of a sudden, the United States became an enormous producer of natural gas, which is, well, there you go. An enorm- the, the United States is now, I think, the leading exporter of natural gas in the world. And of course, you've heard the, the words here. Uh, you've heard about the Permian Basin down in Texas. You've heard about the Bakken Shale out in the Dakotas. You've heard about the Marcellus Shale in Pennsylvania, which is where most of the methane natural gas that we get here in Massachusetts comes from. But it turns out that methane gas was originally sold to us as a bridge fuel. It would be because methane, the chemical nature of methane is CH4. So it's one carbon and four hydrogens. So you get a lot of energy out of that with only one carbon uh, dioxide molecule being released when you burn it. So relatively speaking, methane is cleaner in quotation marks when you burn it. But the fly in the ointment is that the methane itself leaks from all the pipelines and the whole apparatus that produces and, uh, and transports the methane and that leaked methane makes the whole use of natural gas pretty much worse than actually building coal plants. Okay, so, but we were told it was going to be a bridge fuel. And really, that was a scam to lock in the infrastructure to develop these natural gas fields, which, of course, last for decades, um, lock that in and keep the oil companies in business. And it turns out that a lot of the work on these um, fracked pipelines and the distribution system, a lot of that happens in environmental justice communities, or communities with less political power. In particular, this one uh, we're talking about down in Louisiana, right on the Gulf Coast. It's, it's in, I think it's in something called Cancer Alley. I think I might be wrong about that. But it's certainly in an area that's heavily burdened with lots and lots of fossil fuel infrastructure and pipelines and whatnot. So anyway, this big liquid natural gas terminal, which would have cost, which would, the developers were ready to pay $20 billion to develop this 600-acre site down in Louisiana, basically became a focus of opposition by different groups. There were TikTok people involved, basically youth activists. Uh, There were environmental justice activists. Third Act, which you may know of, uh, the Bill McKibben group, uh, was involved in trying to convince President Biden that allowing this 
kind of installation to move forward was a bad idea. And in fact, the march down in New York City that we all talked about last September, that was related. It was trying in protest to these liquid, liquefied natural gas export terminals. Turns out, just as an aside, there were a total of 17 new ones being proposed. And this one that we're talking about today, the CP2, is just one of 17. Anyway, that's the background that the United States is a net exporter of this natural gas, which is very bad for the climate. Uh, There's an argument that says all this natural gas should go over to Europe because Mr. Putin's invading Ukraine. But it turns out the Europeans don't really need more natural gas. They're actually, surprisingly enough, doing just fine. And so based on grassroots activism and people pushing back, the Biden administration decided to pause, again, I emphasize the word pause, the decision-making process for this first of 17 new plants. And I guess what's going to happen is that the, the organization called FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Committee, is pretty much a rubber stamp. They're kind of a disappointment. But after... The, the next step in this decision-making process is for the proposal for this liquefied natural gas plant to go to be presented to the Department of Energy, DOE, who will then, the president has tasked them to consider the climate, economic, and security aspects of building this enormous gas exporting terminal. And it's, it's there you start to think, hear words like cumulative carbon impact, cumulative climate impact, whereas you say, gee, this is going to be going for decades and decades, sending millions of tons per year of liquefied natural gas overseas to be burned. It's not a good thing for the climate. Uh, and there you go. Well, it turns out that the very fact of this pause is significant for the people who are trying to develop the big terminal because it puts their financing in danger. All these delays are bad news for the developers. Uh, The decision is now, as I have emphasized, paused several times, but the decision is now pushed off till after the election later this year, which, of course, raises the stakes even further on the election, but will require continuous... uh, effort on the part of activists to make sure that the pause becomes a permanent cancellation. Um, But all in all, what the federal government under the president's leadership have done is a good thing. It has stopped an infrastructure project that we don't need is a net climate bad thing to build yet another liquid natural gas exporting Uh, terminal. It shows that grassroots activism works, and we should be happy. It's a good thing. So that's the first of the two things, is that Biden put a pause on building this bad liquefied natural gas infrastructure. The second thing that the federal government has done recently, this was probably late December, uh, was to make a statement about the future of hydrogen. 
So this is a little bit different thing. Uh, the thing we just spoke about was stopping some bad stuff from happening, which is, that is to say, building a new LNG, liquefied natural gas terminal. Flip side is that the federal government has thought about how to establish and develop technology for something that is potentially good. Not necessarily great, but potentially good. And that is the use of hydrogen to help us in our fight against climate change. So it's just, again, for background, before we talk about the decision, basically what the decision was, was to put very favorable tax credits in place if you make your hydrogen in a clean and renewable way. So from a climate perspective, the administration did a good thing. Um, the background is that hydrogen, you've heard, probably heard of it, it's often touted now by big companies that expect to make money, touted as a solution to everything, right? Uh, but hydrogen has to be produced through a process that requires energy. And the hydrogen is either going to come from methane or natural gas by a process in which is technically called steam reformation. But they have this process, if they put enough energy in, they can take the hydrogen and the methane out and they get hydrogen gas. They're left with a lot of CO2, which is an issue, but that's a dirty way to make hydrogen. The flip side is there's a clean way to make hydrogen that uses renewable energy, like a wind turbine to give you the electricity, and essentially all you do is put water into something called an electrolyzer, and that, I'm giving you all the vocabulary here, they put water into the electrolyzer in some of your green electricity, and the electrolyzer quote-unquote, cracks the water into hydrogen and oxygen, both of which I like, especially the oxygen part, right? So that's a clean way to make hydrogen. So there's two ways to make hydrogen. It's a dirty way and a clean way. Those are called green hydrogen, and the other is sometimes called gray hydrogen, but we like the green hydrogen. In any case, it takes energy. We'll come back to that. It turns out that Hydrogen is useful in what are called hard-to-electrify industries. And in, as an example, uh, I think maybe one of the leading examples is the idea that if you want to make steel, you've all seen pictures of the big molten red-hot ingots of steel being poured into, uh, into molds and whatnot, right? You need what's called industrial heat. And the way that's done nowadays is by burning a lot of coal, and bad stuff, fossil fuels, to make the heat to melt all of the stuff that you're doing to put into your steel. Well, it turns out that you could use hydrogen, which would be a very effective way of heating up that big bucket of molten steel that you have in your mind, right? The way you make that hot is with a hydrogen flame, which would be very clean, right? And there's no simple way, it turns out, to do that with electricity. So you have to find some way to just simply make things hot. You want to use, burn your hydrogen, right? That's an example. Another interesting example for hydrogen is that it's used to make fertilizer, okay? You need pure hydrogen to make fertilizer to grow our food. Right now, all that hydrogen comes from this dirty process of producing it, but you'd like to produce that hydrogen in a green way, a clean way. Right, So there are a lot of not-so-good uses of hydrogen in the fight against climate change, and we don't have time to go into them. But there are some good uses. And so 
um, it's an interesting thing to try to figure out how to make enough green hydrogen, clean hydrogen, uh, to go around and do what we need to do. That's where the federal government comes in. What you may remember called the Inflation Reduction Act, which is a big climate act from a couple of years ago. In that enormous bill was a call to spend something like $30 billion to develop basically a hydrogen industry, hydrogen infrastructure, how to make hydrogen, how to transport hydrogen, how to use hydrogen. It's a whole, literally an industry. The Biden administration announced that it was going to set up seven different centers, sort of basically laboratories around the country, where people could work to figure out how to um, how to develop hydrogen, get hydrogen. One of those places is, of course, in Joe Manchin's West Virginia, where they're going to try and figure out how to make hydrogen from methane gas. Right. Fine, fine. Put all that aside. The real thing that the, what the Biden administration did was to provide a very generous tax break for, your, for the production of your hydrogen if you did it with clean techniques. That is to say, if you really and truly made green hydrogen and figured out how to do that, you would get a much, you would get $3 for each amount of hydrogen versus the other guys who only get 65 cents. So there's a real incentive for these, this hydrogen market to be truly clean. And that's where it gets even more interesting. The rules that the administration has put in place that in order to get this wonderful tax credit for making your hydrogen, you have to make your hydrogen with renewable energy. That is to say, it has to come from a wind turbine or a solar panel someplace. Okay, But it's even better than that. It's because the... Because it takes a lot of electricity to make the hydrogen, the hydrogen, if you want to get the tax credit, you have to have new renewable energy. You can't just go find someone else's existing windmill and take their electricity. You have to put up a new windmill in order to get the electricity to make the hydrogen. Okay? The second good thing about what they did was that you have to have that new windmill or solar panel that you put up has to be in the same region of the country, the same electric grid that your electrolyzer is in, right? What that does is it it allows each region of the country to develop its own renewable energy infrastructure and familiarity and all the good things that go along with building renewable energy in each region of the country, right? So you've got, you have to have new renewable energy to make your hydrogen. It has to be local to the plant that you want to make the electricity in. And finally, the really cool thing is that the... The production of hydrogen with your electrolyzer that I mentioned before that's taking in the green energy, the green energy that you're taking in has to be produced in the same hour that it's being used. So what does that mean? What are we talking about? So sometimes, and I've made the case, but we all learn, live and learn, you can, many companies will claim to be green by burning whatever electricity comes in the door and going out and buying renewable energy credits from some other part of the country, right? But they do that only once every year. So what does that mean? They're buying renewable energy credits. Say Google is buying renewable energy credits from Texas, but out in California, they're burning coal to 
power their servers. Right? So real time, they're burnt. They're, they're f- and, and what happens is when there's a lot of demand, they force that forces onto the market the most dirty marginal power plants. Right? But by having by matching the production of the renewable energy and its use in the same region where the electrolyzer is, say you're in Ohio making making hydrogen, then your windmill is in Ohio and you have to be producing your, your electricity while that windmill is spinning. That's truly the best definition that we have so far of green hydrogen. And that's what you get the tax credit for. So there you go. The, the rules are a win for climate people because we're going to get hydrogen, but it's going to be clean, green, good hydrogen. It's not going to be that yucky stuff that we, the other guys want to make from methane. Uh, and it does two things, the decision. Number one, it protects this nascent hydrogen industry from being co-opted by the fossil fuel industry. Right? It really forces everyone to do the right thing as to the way they make their hydrogen so that uh, going forward, we get the the clean hydrogen. Second thing is that it provides the hydrogen we need to do these things like make steel, right? Um, and it also shows that, again, the pressure of people demanding that the federal government act and behave responsibly in these instances works. So there you go. There's your two items of the week. One is that the uh, the federal government, under the leadership of the president, has basically stopped and put a serious roadblock in the development of 17 unnecessary liquefied natural gas terminals in the United States. That's good and shows that somebody's listening. The other thing the administration has done is to set up a forward-looking new industry to create hydrogen, but the rules around the creation of that hydrogen are, in fact, consistent with what we think needs to be done in order to make the hydrogen in a way that's climate-friendly. And there's money behind it, and it's all a good thing. So there you go. There's your two ideas. Please let us know if you have any questions about the show, if you th- anything we, you think we ought to be talking about. Um, send us an email to podcast at massclimateaction.net. Right? Hopefully you're listening to the show on your favorite distribution app, but you should know that you can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google, Good Pods, Podbean, SoundCloud, etc., etc. I want to thank our good friend D.R. Tucker for his continuing research support. I want to close, close the way we always close, by saying that we recognize the necessity of personal accountability, that we accept responsibility for building a durable future, that we believe it's our patriotic duty as citizens to speak out. Because of that, we have to insist that the United States transform its energy sector over the next decade under a just and equitable plan that uses regulation, investment, and a price on carbon that respects environmental justice communities. So, thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. Very cool.